I want to take a minute to tell you about Federal Access. Federal Access is our coaching and training platform that we develop for government contractors. The resources in Federal Access have helped our clients win over $13.6 billion in government contracts. When you become a member, you're going to get access to hundreds of documents, templates, training videos, on-demand webinars, and you get SME support from me. So if you have a question, you can email me directly anytime. Here's a special offer for Game Changers listeners. Visit federal-access.com forward slash Game Changers today and get started for just $29. That's federal-access.com forward slash Game Changers to get started for just $29. Now let's get into this episode. Welcome to Game Changers for Government Contractors. Game Changers is dedicated to helping you position for and win more government contracts. And now your hosts, Josh and Mike. Hey everyone, Michael Lejeune here, and I will be your host today on Game Changers. And as always, we have a great episode for you today. Uh, We're going to be talking to Rob Rosenberger. He is the CEO and founder of Black Dragon. And I don't know about some of you listeners, but I've always wanted to own a company with a cool name like Black Dragon. And so, Rob, that was one of the things when I saw that. I was like, that's such a cool company name. I bet that that totally stands out. So I'm going to turn it over to Rob to welcome him to the show and let him tell tell us a little bit about himself and the company and maybe you'll even tell us where you came up with the name Black Dragon. Well, thanks, Mike. I'm glad to be here. And uh, on behalf of Black Dragon, thanks for uh, giving us the opportunity to get the word out, but also for myself uh, to uh, get to meet you and to share some of the information with your audience. Uh, About uh, a little bit about me, I'm a former military, kind of an entrepreneur at heart. I was a a dabbler uh, with entrepreneurial opportunities as a kid, kind of grew into doing more things. Eventually, I've worked, uh, I was a former military, I flew for the Navy back in the, the first Gulf War, which uh, led me to end up working for the government. Uh, it was my first government job outside of the military, I worked for CIA, where I became a contracting officer. I've worked at um, all five of the major five three-letter uh, three agencies, and I was in contracts and negotiations, and eventually I became a contractor on the other side of contracts, which I had to win them, I had to manage them, and and that uh, fast forward has led to the launch and the creation of this company called Black Dragon, and I can tell more about that later. But uh, the name came. We had uh, we knew we had to be different. We knew we had to stand out, and we had five different names picked out. And frankly, the the fifth name was sort of the, the Black Dragon. We thought, well, it was almost a little bit comical. We didn't really know that it would resonate as well as it did. So we had a contest of all things. We're a crowdsourcing company. We had a crowdsourcing contest, and it was unanimous. This was the uh, the winner. There were no other takers for the other names that we thought we were very smart and clever, but they like this name, and that's um, it's proven to be very effective for us. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I, I love that. And, you know, I, I don't know what you what the other options are, and you don't have to say those, but that it just stands out. I mean, when I saw your profile, it immediately just jumps off of the LinkedIn profile. So I mean, kudos to you guys for even going with a gutsy name like that. I think um, sort of a tangent here, but for some of our listeners, I actually find that some of our listeners spend months you know, kicking names back and forth and don't want to do something edgy or, you know, it, it's something that is got the words, you know, government in it or something like that. And you're like, it has six words and, you know, it, it sort of right. says what they do and yeah, but it doesn't stand out. Right. 
And it's right. a, it, yeah, to me, when I saw Black Dragon, it just jumped out. And I'm like, I want to know what these guys do. And that was my initial thing. And I started reading. I think you guys had, had won some awards or some things like that. And, um, you know, it just, it, again, it just pulled me in. So, Well, thank I, you. Um, I, a little bit of uh, internal fun with it. Uh, we've noticed that uh, internally the members themselves like to refer to each other as dragons. So even though it's a little bit in jest, um, it's almost now a, a secret handshake in that there are so many of dragons around uh, the world that when they introduce themselves, they say, are you a dragon? And uh, <laughs> so they're meeting each other as they're members of this, uh, this growing organization. So we have, a, we have a lot of fun with it. Yeah, that, that's awesome. You know, again, it, it's I, I'm a pure business guy and, and, and always trying to look for the underlying things that make a business great. And and when people listen to this podcast, a lot of times it is focused on the government game changers, right? The things that are going to, in a government setting, take them to another level. And often people overlook the things like culture. And, and what you're talking about is such a, a culture piece that is so unique. Um, kudos to you guys for doing it and, and kind of fostering that within the company because I think that's a game changer, in my book, you know, a unique name in a unique culture and having the dragons, if you will, running around all over the globe. What a cool piece of culture that you guys have created. And if people are listening to this, understand the, the growth, you know, he's Rob's going to get into this, the growth and the success they've had. I think part of your culture is part of that. And so I don't want to steal the show from some of the things you're going to say here, but, uh, but I'm, I'm really impressed with what you guys are doing with that. So Thank you. Yeah, yeah, you're welcome. I'm going to back up now and let you tell the listeners a little bit about how long you've been in government contracting. You you kind of you, you kind of touched on it there, but I'll let you go ahead and talk a little bit more about how long you've been in government contracting and kind of some of the stuff you've done. Sure. Uh, so officially, my first government contracting. So again, military, not not uh, counting. Um, I've been in contracting since 1997, so that's probably what 21 years. My first official role. I was a contracting officer for CIA. Uh, they put me on rotations to other organizations during the, my tenure there. And although my entrepreneur background goes back to the start of the age of nine, where my, my dad helped me start my first business at the age of nine. So uh, I've kind of been in and out of contracting for a long time, but federal contracting uh, since 97. That, uh, that's awesome. What, if you don't mind me asking here, uh, it's a little too late, I guess. What was your first business at the age of nine? I'm kind of curious on that one. Well, uh, there's, there's a lot of material that has been published on me. The short story is, uh, effectively, I grew up a farm kid in the middle of nowhere, Texas, and I wanted to make money. Uh, by the age of nine, because at that age I'd already been working on the ranch along with uh, grown men, and I didn't really care for it. And so I thought, well, mm. I'd rather do something to make money instead of this, you know, uh, the, the labor that, that my dad put me through. And um, every idea I had was a failed opportunity. I, I, you know, from the mind of a, of a nine-year-old, there were so many things I, I had not con uh, contemplated. You know, for example, I'm going to mow a yard, and, well, who's going to take you, you know? And right. uh, these are very large yards, and all we have is a push mower, and what's going to, who's going to pick up the slack when you get tired as a nine-year-old? Uh, I hadn't thought through all this. So the longer of it is he um, took me to a watermelon field. I had no idea where we were going. Uh, typically the rules were when you're driving with Dad, you don't speak because he's thinking. And so we end up in a watermelon patch. I didn't know why. I'd never heard of such, never seen such. I was completely fascinated. He bought 100 melons. 
and as we're driving back, I'm excited that there's 100 melons, although I have no idea why my dad would do such a thing. The uh, the idea, he leans, he looks over to me and he says, your summer job to make money is you're going to sell watermelons. Mm. Uh, he, he, that was a foreign language. I had no idea what we were doing, what he meant, uh, how it would work. I ended up selling those 100 melons. It took me a week. I sold them on the side of a highway there in the middle of Texas and a hot summer sun. Um, I didn't know what I was doing, so, uh, you know, whatever fear I had, you know, he would just walk me through it. He'd write the prices on the side of the melons with a, a black magic marker and say, you know, I gave a hundred, I gave a dollar a piece for these hundred melons. So at the end of the summer, whether you sell these melons or you don't, you owe me a hundred bucks. Hmm. But the idea was is to sell them for a profit, and you know it took me a little bit, but I figured it out. So it took a whole long week in that hot sun to sell those lousy hundred melons, but I effectively doubled the money. And to a nine-year-old, two hundred bucks or whatever it was seemed like all the money in the world. I truly felt as though I, you know, the David and Goliath, and so yeah. I was so excited. So I attempted to pay my dad back the profit, or probably me, the principal of the hundred bucks. And of course, everyone was excited. But I actually enjoyed what I, had, you know, the fear had gone, and I started to like it. And he said, "Well, you know, I said you can take till the end of the summer to pay me." And it took a few times for him to say that, but eventually I got the idea, and uh, I started reinvesting in melons at the age of nine. I was selling about a thousand melons a week at the, at the end of that summer, and I never looked back. Wow! So, uh, that was my introduction. So at the age of uh, I think 16, I had 42 employees, uh, pretty much working seven days a, a week. And so, uh, like I said, I have this entrepreneurial bone. I see opportunity everywhere I look, and I always wonder, why hasn't someone done something about that? And Black Dragon is no different. Um, I thought that this was sort of a common sense idea that someone is going to come up with, and since they didn't, I, I went ahead and recruited the people that I believed in, and we launched yeah, what a great story! I, I if you're listening to this, uh, you know, don't feel bad you didn't start at age nine. But what a great story! I I, I love hearing that. I, I didn't start quite as early as you. I was probably about thirteen or fourteen when I started mowing lawns. We lived in the middle of nowhere, and so I mowed the neighbors' yards and that sort of thing. We did work on a farm when I was growing up, but there was no way in the world you were getting paid for it, and nobody investing in watermelons <laughs> to help you. So it was it was it was fend for yourself. Uh, I, you know. The, the similar situation where you, you rode with dad, dad didn't really talk much. You didn't really ask a whole lot of questions. Uh, you were, you were lucky. You got to ride in the truck instead of in the back or wherever. So <laughs> not in the back. yeah. Sure. So, so that's just the way it was. I grew up, I grew up in Louisiana, so not, not, not too far probably from where you grew up. So that, that's, that's good stuff. We here. may be related. Who knows? Yeah. We may be related. Who knows? We'll talk about that after the podcast. So, so why don't you tell us a little bit? I mean, you, you're, I mean, this some wins at the age of nine and 16, right? Who has employees at the age of 16 why don't you tell us about some of the major wins you've had as black dragon sure so uh, black dragon is in its fourth year we launched in january of 15 and so this is now at the beginning of our fifth year but we've already had some some profound successes or that we're very pleased uh one example that comes to my mind is this was early on into our into our um maybe even our inaugural year, I can't remember, but it was about two years ago, we had a large client uh, who had brought an opportunity to us and said, we have no incumbency, we have no capture, we have no background, we have literally nothing but a clean slate, but here's an RFP that we're interested in with an agency that we don't know, 
um, and it looks pretty good. We have the, the, the credentials and the past performance to win it, but we've done none of the prep, none of the, the and we, you know, none of the things that it would normally take to win a contract of this size and magnitude and complexity, as well as we're out of time because the good news is we, we think we're good at, good at winning, but the bad news is the RFP came out a week ago and it was a 30-day turnaround. Mm. So uh, it was the ultimate, uh, the epitome of Bluebird, all capital letters with an exclamation point. Um, our initial advisement to this client was, it's it's just not you, right? It's this is either bad time, bad bad fit, or or a combination of the of the above. Nonetheless, uh, we were able to use our crowdsourcing platform. Again, we're not a typical hourly. Uh, conventional consulting shop. What we are is a crowdsourcing matchmaking marketplace that has two ecosystems of, of, of participants. On one ecosystem, it's subject matter experts, and they can be experts in anything. They, and maybe their expertise is just their Rolodex. It's who they know in this community because that's very valuable. It may be what they know. It may be something that they can do. For example, uh, a technical writer or a price-to-win an analyst, etc. So in this particular opportunity, this came to us, the other uh, ecosystem being the bidder clients, and we matchmake with data-oriented uh, algorithms and modeling, and we find the best combination of fit. So in this case, we said, yeah, we think you're a good fit, but, but you literally need like almost a full turnkey production, and we're starting off behind the curve. The good news is our victory is uh, we stood up that team in one day. We found 14 sort of a dream team uh, members, that team stood up, locked in, loaded, moved forward on a fixed price uh, arrangement. They put most of that fee uh, contingent, meaning they had to win. And so the client is getting a very cheap, very uh, turnkey uh, production for a fraction of the risk and a fraction of the, uh, the contemporary price. And we won. So we won this thing in 21 days of time, starting from zero to hero. And uh, we're very proud of that. And um, that's just a testament of how powerful this Black Dragon new crowdsourcing platform model can be in the federal industry, which is not known for its flexibility, its agility, or its speed. Yeah, you know, that, I mean, that's a, a great story uh, and a great win for you guys. And I, I almost want to back up for a moment. And while I, I think people will be blown away by the story, I think some people are asking, you know, tell me more about what you do because this is one of those things where I, I think they're kind of getting a glimpse of it. But wh why don't we kind of pause from some of the questions here and let you tell people what exactly Black Dragon is doing, how it's doing this crowdsourcing of what it's doing. I, you've kind of alluded to some of that here, but uh, but maybe you can expand on that a little bit before sure. we talk about keys to success. Sure. So platforms. Uh can mean different things to different people, but it is a very popular word in the business industry, especially with respect to the gig economy. The gig economy being people that are working sort of piecemeal or gig by gig or project by project. And there's a ton of those examples out there. So for example, one of the more popular ones is Uber. So Uber uh, has two ecosystems of participants. It has Uber drivers and it has Uber riders. And it's just facilitating with technology the matchmaking in between of those that have an underutilized asset and they want to use it and those that need the underutilized asset and are willing to pay for it. So owner, car owners and car drivers uh, can use the technology to, to find, if you will, me, 
the person that desires a ride, and I happen to be closest to them, or uh, and so it's matchmaking, and it's a it's a platform. There are platforms all around us in our domestic lives, and we don't even think twice. So, for example, Netflix. If you've ever watched Netflix on your own, by watching something, it's taking an algorithm approach to estimating and and, and trying to take a, a, a guess at the other shows that you might be interested in on a mathematical range. The same thing for Amazon. If you've looked on anything on Amazon, it's going to thereby kick more opportunities to you and say, well, since you clicked on this or since you purchased this, it might be likely that you'd like this as well because math says this is a good fit, possibly. Same thing for Match.com and eHarmony and all these other dating and and, uh, matching sites. We're using the similar approach but in government contracting. And we're using it in two different ways. So one is that the algorithms are taking all of that government data, and there is a lot of it, and it's free, and it's accessible, but we're taking that data, and as the opportunities are coming out, the RFPs, or even the ones that we can project, we already know in advance there will be an RFP from a certain agency for a certain thing, because Congress gave the money to, let's say, Air Force and for ISR, and we can look back historically and go, well, typically when they When Congress did that, it went to this contracting agency, and they used this vehicle with a fixed-price contract, and here was the shop. We can retroactively look at all that data and predict where it will go, even though the government hasn't formally announced it yet. Hmm. So in this matchmaking, instead of predicting shows that would be good fits, we're predicting clients that can win contracts. The other way around is we're predicting... Uh, for our clients, we're predicting which bids look like they have the highest possible fit. On the matchmaking for the consultants, this Ocean's Eleven Dream Team kind of concept, instead of matchmaking for your your your, your significant other to spend the you know your your horizon days with, we're building ultimate dream teams that want to win that contract on behalf of the bidder. And the way that works is based on their profiles. We're finding the former proposal manager that wrote the winning bid last time, but they have no conflict of interest this time. We're finding the former government, GS-15, that managed that contract. They've retired, and they have uh, a lot of knowledge about that program, but they have no conflict of interest. We can effectively find those dream teams. Uh, We have, in some cases, as soon as the opportunity goes into our marketplace, it scours across the globe and finds those people within seconds and minutes. And sometimes before you finish your cup of coffee, you have that team ready to go, hmm. and they want to know, who can I win for? Wow. Wow. That, I, I think you said something uh, earlier in the podcast that, that relating to this where you had noticed there was a need but nobody doing this. And then as you describe it, I'm like, there's a ton of people have tried and just failed miserably. <laughs> You know, there's, they, yeah, yeah, well, you know, you know, to, to do to do something similar, they you know they would call it matchmaking is is what they would call it, and you know I think part of it's their database and other things. But I'm curious what your in general keys to success are with this business, but with this um, with this model that again I think a lot of people have tried and are trying and are failing miserably at this model, and you guys are killing it. Well, thank you. Um, obviously, we, we, we are not free of mistakes. We certainly make our share. We, we have the good fortune, and I, I give the, t- the credit where credit is due, and that's the people that make Black Dragon effective. It's not just some 
random assortment. Uh, you know, we were real estate agents first, that didn't work, and then we tried selling insurance, and that didn't work, and then we tried renting cars, and that didn't work. That's not the case. So the people that form Black Dragon with me and make Black Dragon effective is truly the people itself. So they're all senior ex- executives with, with decades and decades of experience, senior leadership. Um, some of the members of Black Dragon, for example, are former presidentially appointed directors of agencies themselves. We have, uh, I can't even count how many, you know, one, two, and actually probably uh, uh, two handfuls of three-star uh, military officers that have retired. And, and it's not that we're sort of, we're not billing them by the hour. That's not what we're doing. They are using the Black Dragon platform just like that Uber driver is or the eBay seller is. They're proactively marketing something that they have to market. And what makes it valuable is when you combine it, if you will, in that dream team composite. Because now when you have all the knowledge of the background, you have all the relationships, you have the history, um, you have the price-to-win information. You know, Maybe the, we have the price-to-win guy that bid on that same opportunity. His company came in second place. He went to the debrief with the contracting officer uh, afterwards and knows exactly what that person would do next time uh, if they ever got a second chance. It's, it's letting that knowledge and information and network basically come to bear uh, and, and now they can monetize or capitalize on their underutilized asset because no one else is paying them for this. And mm-hmm. no one else is sort of seeking them out as individuals, but when they come together as a team, um, it's, it's formidable. Yeah, I, it, it, just, it sounds like it. It sounds like it's just an amazing platform, and we're going to talk after this because I, I think there's a ton of our clients that could really benefit from, you know, utilizing the services you guys provide. And, you know, I want to make sure we give links and things like that later and put those sure. on the website and stuff. But so, I mean, that's a little One bit. One thing I was going to say, pardon me, I'm sorry. No, no. I was just going to say Jump that in. in our three years, our first 36 months coming from this idea, a technology approach agnostic to clients, uh, it really made people's heads turn sideways like, a you know, a dog hearing a high-pitched noise. Uh, but uh, over the time, it's starting to kind of catch on. And in 36 months, we went from basically the two founders to we believe we are the largest for-profit group of bid and proposal professionals uh, in the U.S. government, if not the world at, at whole. Wow. That, that's amazing. That's amazing. And, and you're talking, I think you said the fourth year in the fourth year right now? We Is just started just... our fourth year, uh, so in January. Wow. Uh, so we have... Um, I'm looking at the profiles right now. We have um, uh, into the thousands of members of, uh, of Dragons, and we have about 400, uh, more than 400 companies are participating in this marketplace. Wow. And uh, so, and that matchmaking is, uh, is benefiting all, all ecosystems. Wow. That's, that's fantastic. Yeah. Now, you, you've, you've talked a little bit about what's made you successful in this particular business here in, in niche, but what do you feel as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, what do you feel some of those additional keys to success have been for you? Well, I could probably take the rest of this call for that. And uh, <laughs> again, I want to give credit to the people that make Black Dragon work and the clients that make it work. So I, I have the good fortune and the privilege of being the idea guy that took the leap of faith and then brought it to, to fruition, but with their help and with because they believed in it. Uh, I was the idea, but they actually made the idea come to life. But some of the qualities that maybe uh, my, my, my personal self brought to this uh, in that combination, uh, I, think, uh, I think I could easily defend that I'm a fierce competitor. Uh, I love winning, and um, 
I, I hate losing, but I, I love winning more than I hate losing, and uh, mm-hmm. I, I will I will do anything to sort of um, give a good competition. Um, in this particular field, I've been extremely trained. I've been highly educated and personally experienced in all aspects of government contracts. I've worked for the government as a contracting officer and published on that, on some of the, the things that I've encountered. I then became a contractor, so on the other side of contracts. And then I actually did uh, about a 15-month uh, stint uh, from 2014 to 2015 where I was a congressional fellow on the legislative side. So I was actually advising uh, in an advisory role to Congress. Um, and so that gave me sort of a whole different perspective as well. So having those multiple perspectives, and then actually I guess a, a fourth is uh, I spent two years in the joint staff advising the comptroller of the joint staff from a monetary perspective, a budget perspective, you know, how do they fund the requirements. So even that, you know, how the money actually moves within the uh, the agencies themselves was eye-opening. And so from all those different vantage points, uh, it came to my awareness or my conclusion that what the government needs and what the industry wants to provide, they're very, they're very uh, good fits, but the gears are not meshing well anymore. The reform is not taking effect, and unfortunately, I believe the industry is antiquated. It doesn't change much. It's very process-driven. It's very bureaucratic. It's got a lot of red tape, and it's done largely by human-to-human interactions. And not that that's bad, but if you look at any other major industry, um, that's been basically automated uh, and and significantly uh, uplifted by technology and social connectivity. But none of those things have ever really taken hold or gotten any traction in this industry, and it continues to operate much the same as it did when I entered this business in, in the 90s. So we're sort of taking a first crack at, at, at putting that technology and social connectivity to play. Um, and so from all those different vantage points and then recognizing that the gears could mesh, but if you just change the incentives. So instead of having the old incentives the way they were, now the workforce, that ecosystem of experts, they actually can proactively employ themselves or maximize their compensation potential by taking the first step. So, i.e., the Uber driver gets in his car and drives around at 1 o'clock in the morning around the bar because the the, the technology says there will be lots of people wanting rides. <laughs> so they're simply taking the first step. In this case, it's a major shift, if you will, in power that the experts and the individuals can take that first step and have autonomous control over that step instead of having to go company to company to company to company waiting for that sort of right timing and right fit um, potential of either being an employee or being a 1099. Hmm. It's a, such a powerful strategy and such a powerful business model that you guys come up with. And so I definitely applaud you guys on, on the way you're just kind of grabbing it by the horns and going here. You know, you, you're, you're talking about some of the, the keys to success, but I'm sure there are a lot of people listening that have had challenges. And, uh, you know, not, not that we need to, you know, have a pity party about challenges, but, uh, you know, they want to relate to, you know, what were some of the challenges that, that you guys saw on your path to success? So I, I'm curious what, what some of those challenges might have been uh, and how you guys got over them. Uh, well, I can, sure. Uh, again, that would take a whole nother phone call. <laughs> but uh, uh, so one is I think one of the keys of success for all of us is we're not afraid to fail. We understand that we're not going to get it perfect, but we're not afraid to try. 
Uh, as a matter of fact, in, in our case, we believe that the the the, the, the cure for fear, the cure for fear of failure is is not actually success. The the cure is actually a little bit of failure in small doses so that mm-hmm. you can build up an immunity. So it's a different perspective, and you got to be able to you know to have the grit to withstand uh, getting it wrong sometimes, and especially when you're a a, 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 a groundbreaker like us or a, a trailblazer where there is no roadmap and no one's gone here before. Uh, inherently, we're susceptible to to getting some choices wrong. So again, we trust our advisors, we trust the type of people in the backgrounds, but some of the things that we really didn't see. One is we thought that um, we thought this would be the most attractive to smaller companies because we're a force multiplier. Because of the way this works, our company, our clients can now bid two, five, who knows, 11x more bids per year at the, with a high PWN with existing resources. So we immediately thought or concluded that smaller companies who have lots and lots of bids coming at them but no resources or no bandwidth to sort of go after all of them, we thought that that would be like the ideal fit. And we thought on the opposite, in the larger companies with deep pockets, lots of rigor, lots of infrastructure, we kind of concluded that we won't be very attractive to them. They will be the last, if you will, to come on board. And surprisingly, it's been much the the opposite. Uh, While we have many small clients and we do work with them and we enjoy it, we were surprised or taken back by how well and how frequently and in, in the volume that the large firms actually uh, embraced our model and continue to do so. Hmm. No, that's, that, that's really interesting. It, it's so funny when you start building a business model and you think it's going to go one way and it totally goes another direction. Uh, it, sure. it, it, and I think that probably happens a lot more than people think uh, is going to happen. So as we start to wrap up here and kind of get your final thoughts, I, I'm curious about if you could go back in time and give yourself some advice, what would that be? So, so two things there. One, if you go back in time, what advice would you give yourself? And two, any additional final thoughts you might have for our listeners? Sure. Um, great question. So I think I'm a man of faith, so uh, I'm a born-again believer. So in my personal opinion or my, my advice as an individual, keep the faith. Uh, I keep God in front of every decision and everything I do. Uh, the other is, is I've learned that I just can't help every company or every individual uh, if they truly don't want to be helped. Um, I had to sort of learn that the hard way and just accept it. Um, I think another, uh, maybe a little lighter on the cuff, is I, I would take some things more seriously than I did, and I'd take uh, others less seriously than I did. And that was a little bit of a learning process, a maturing process. Hmm. Uh, really good advice. And it, it's interesting, you know, a lot of people don't actually want to talk about faith inside of business and politics and all that kind of stuff. And I think it's there. It's there no matter what. And I think if that's who you are, I just gave a talk last night to a bunch of entrepreneurs. And I, and my biggest thing was to, to them was to be yourself and incorporate yourself into everything you do. And if you are someone who has a lot of faith, incorporate that into what you do incorporate it into the decisions you make it it helps you be more congruent with yourself and who you are so that's that's a really important thing in my opinion to be true to yourself and like i said incorporate that in your business and you know i don't think there are truer words that that could have been spoken about you can't help people that don't want to help themselves right you know if they don't want to help themselves man and i, I think you get caught up as an entrepreneur and it, i think some of these kind of tie in together because 
you 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 want to help people that don't want to help themselves and you take it more seriously than they do and then it hurts more right. seriously because they've not taken it seriously and then you wind up with these you know battle scars from being an entrepreneur when you That's should really we, we hate to see the waste yeah. right and yeah. we hate to see the missed opportunities and it, it really is uh i think we become more disappointed than anyone when we see how much potential each individual or each company has and they don't see it in themselves yeah uh, and it's, it's admittedly disappointing and uh you know we we have to, to get through it and we're always working on that but um i i can't i can't lie it, it is always a disappointment when we encounter it yeah you know and we 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 encounter that here and there uh and it's just it's heartbreaking when you know we're in the services business, right? So we're in the service businesses. We help our clients win more government contracts. And when a company comes to us and you see all the potential and you say, great, let's work together or work together. And they're like, ah, you know, maybe if we want another contract or two, we'd circle back and we'd really like to work with you. Like, what if we work together and you could win 20 instead of one or two? <laughs> You, you know, and, and it, yeah, and they like, and they can't wrap that around. They're like, yeah, well, once I win those one or two, then we'll come back and win 20. Like, it may take you a year to do that, but if we work together for that year, you'd win 10, 12, 15. You know, like, like, where's, where's the math breakdown? Like, I don't understand, you know, and, and, and you're having that conversation with them, and they're like, yeah, we'll just circle back, and you're like, oh, you're just shaking your head. So. Well, I think the one that happens probably so routinely now that I'm, I'm, I am building up an immunity to it, but uh, it always makes me scratch my head. And, and uh, this is no disparaging comment to the old industry of uh, hourly su uh, supporting personnel because that model is always going to live and always going to be here. But it has been the front runner for how you augment uh, you know, your staff or, or go about winning contracts. Is the, the consulting hourly business is very predominant. So so much so that we've been conditioned to, to believe that it's the only thing. And so when we come in with a new introduction and say, look, we'll build an entire dream team, and it's not just anyone, it's this perfect combination of a team of, let's say, 12, maybe 16 people, 18 people, and they will work for one fixed price, one consolidated price for the win. That's that contract award, however long that takes. And it's comparable to, and they'll put the rest of their fee at, at risk, meaning they have to win to collect the full fee. But your outlay, your initial investment, is about the same as it would be if you were asking us to give you one person by the hour for the next 30 days. So pound for pound, right, the, your ROI is significantly better off and, and with a better risk uh, proportion. Um, but it amazes us that they will still look for that one person to help them by the hour mm -hmm. um, and then can't see the value of having a turnkey a complete accountable team of the you know the experts of the experts and they will do everything if you will on the behalf as if they were your partner or your employee but right. only for that project and so they can see the value in hiring the hourly person the old way but then they really wrestle with the financial sort of well where's the where's the catch where's the you know the the problem that's that this is too good to be true and it's that too good to be true conversation that we have really too often i'm afraid mm -hmm. but it does happen yeah well it sounds like we're a lot alike we have that conversation a lot because we're the same way we don't we don't build anything hourly we got rid of that model a long time ago and it does blow people's mind and we often have to say 
I can't make it any simpler than this phrase. You cannot afford me hourly. <laughs> if if this were to go hourly, um, you you just couldn't afford it. You know that that's right. definitely not in your budget uh, to go hourly. You know for those. You know we're not like lawyers. We don't. You know we don't punch the clock when they call for six minutes. You know or, or right. any of that garbage. Um, you know, again, like you said, not not to disparage those folks that do charge that way. That that'll be there forever. Um, but we've just found a different way that works for us. And, you know, may, maybe while we're on here, I, I didn't plan on this conversation, but to help, you know, bust that myth of why that's such a good model for folks like us is, and I don't know exactly for you, you can, you can give your two cents. For us, it's one of those things of, of just the accounting nightmare we would have if we oh, yeah. had to track hours and report time cards and things like that for every single project. It's an accounting nightmare. For us. Well, it's also a big drain on overhead, right? So the overhead model of finding and staffing, recruiting, and the paperwork drill, there's just a lot more churn and burn that's associated with that, and it's reflected. So in a, yep. in a, a platform model like ours, similar to domestic platforms, uh, just like uh, eBay or Uber, they take a small slice of the transaction, but most of the money will go from the buyer to the seller. Mm-hmm. And so the platform only takes a very small portion uh, so when compared to, in contrast to the old hourly, which takes a lot of human effort and, and a lot of sort of uh, managerial uh, applications, um, you have to have over, higher overhead. Well, that's money that's not really adding value, unfortunately, mm-hmm. and that's a that's that's not a very good um, good investment that doesn't and it doesn't scale. Right. Uh, so in this case, it does, and we we also kind of give the analogy, and this is a little bit off tangent, but when we talk about that platform, we talk about how we can win any contract we want to win, but we don't deliver what we win. So I want to make sure that that, that the audience understands we don't have anything to do with subbing or delivery or execution. So similar to how Uber is the largest taxi provider on the planet, but they don't own a single car, uh, we can win any contract we want to win, i.e., that's conjecture, but but, uh, you get the idea. Mm -hmm. But we don't deliver what we what we win. That's for the client to do. Right. Yeah. I mean, you you're just helping them, you know, execute that that proposal phase or that that win phase, if you will, and win, get that the done. Strategy, yeah. everything that it takes. But it also many of the, the the consultants that did the winning, maybe they already have a day job. They they didn't they didn't have any aspirations of delivering this. <laughs> right. Work. They're simply right. exercising what they know or who they know from a previous life, and they have no conflict of interest. And this is simply something they're doing as a means of, uh, you know, uh, augmenting their compensation because in this unique situation, what they know and what they have done in the past is very valuable, but only right here at this moment. Yeah, no, that, that's, it's such a great model. And uh, be- before we hop off here, um, who would make, if somebody's listening to this, who makes a great client for Black Dragon? Anyone that wants to win a federal contract um that's that takes like a real proposal i'm not talking about the standard quotes that are you know kind of routine and mundane i don't think that we have any special sauce on those but if it takes effort if it takes planning and and requirement especially if it takes you know people with expertise like a price to win expert or a recruiter of a specific background or a technology background domain that's where the uh, the black dragon model excels um, and the benefit becomes the ROI gets bigger. The bigger the contract opportunity is, the less uh, the, the impact, if you will, or the drag. So it's, uh, it's high speed, low drag kind of thing. The larger the, uh, the total contract value. 
But effectively, any client can, any company that has to win a contract is a good possible client for us. And we don't have any charges. It doesn't cost anything to join. And there are no penalties if they ever change their mind and want to discontinue. So we've made it as frictionless as possible. Yeah. No, what a great model. I really appreciate that. I appreciate you coming on here today and sharing everything so freely with everybody and kind of sharing the model and what you guys are doing. I, th- I think you guys are killing it uh, and, and crushing an, an industry where so many have failed. And so it's, it's refreshing to hear that. It's refreshing to hear the watermelon story at the beginning and just and just how you've always had this in your blood, too. So I really appreciate you coming on and uh, maybe we'll have you back on in a few months. You can you can talk about some sure. other good stuff going on. So so thank, thank you so you much. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure to be here. Awesome. Well, 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 thank you again. And I also want to take a minute to thank our listeners for joining us today on this episode. Remember, you can find every episode on iTunes. Just look for Game Changers for Government Contractors and subscribe to the feed to make sure you get every single episode. Last but not least, please visit our sponsor for today's episode. It is the Federal Access Program at federal-access.com. When you visit the site today, you'll learn how to get a free copy of the Government Sales Manual. And be sure to tune in next time for lessons from our experts on how you can win more government contracts. Thanks for listening to Game Changers for Government Contractors. For a full list of episodes and other resources, be sure and check us out on the web at www.rsmfederal.com slash gamechangers.